step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Men in Red Show, powered by Bucky's Fifth Quarter and the fine folks at SBNation.com. My name is John Ayers, and I'm joined by Drew Hom, my co-host, and our fearless producer, Jake Kokorowski. Welcome, Drew. Hey, happy to be here, John. Exciting. It's very exciting. Well, if you're listening to this first episode, you're either a family member or a writer for Bucky's Fifth Quarter. But in case you aren't or somehow stumbled upon us from our fine PR work we've done on the Twitters this week, welcome to our show. This show's genesis lies mostly in our desire to give voice and a platform to the multitude of great content that is constantly being produced and cultivated around the Wisconsin Badgers athletic programs. We're not just football, not just basketball, but just a general University of Wisconsin sports-themed show with shades of general college sports talk as well. Hopefully you can download and listen to the show on your commute or at work or in the gym. We aim to give you great guests like the two we have this week and also analysis and debate of our own from time to time. We don't take ourselves too seriously, as you'll find out, and both generally feel that sports are best consumed with a smile. We want this show to be fun, but smart and efficient as well. We are lucky today to have Reese Davis from ESPN in with us to discuss some Wisconsin hoops and his new role with the College Game Day crew. He is more known to the public as the voice of the basketball game day show, but this fall he's going to be working with the football game day folks. In addition to his role with game day, Reese is actually an advisory board member for the Capital One Cup. Reese, thanks for being with us today. Oh, glad to be with you guys. I I appreciate you mentioning uh, Capital One Cup. It's a really cool program that I've been honored to be a part of for now in my fifth year as an advisory board member. And for those who perhaps aren't as familiar with it, what we do is we honor the best overall athletic program on both the men's and women's side at the end of the year uh, with the Capital One Cup. It's based on top 10 championship finishes in fall, winter, and spring sport. And the winning men's and women's programs get the Capital One Cup trophy. And most importantly, they get a combined $400,000 in student-athlete scholarship money at the end of the spring semester. So um, we've been awarding the Capital One Cup at the ESPYs in July, and the uh, representatives seem to enjoy that as an incentive, plus uh, the ability to be able to say that they were the best part of the best overall athletics program in all of college sports has been great. And I think that's the part the fans enjoy most. They can follow along on CapitalOneCup.com or if they prefer to use Facebook or Twitter, we're at Capital One on both of those. So it's a, it's a really cool program. I think it's something that the athletic department embraced, and I think it's something the fans have really had a good time with following along and continuing to follow along. And, and most importantly, knowing that by supporting Capital One Cup that they are, uh, that they are supporting something with a great end game in terms of providing scholarship money for student-athletes. Wisconsin is kind of known – at large as having a very strong athletic department. With regards to the Capital One Cup, have you seen that play out in some of the rankings over the course of the season? Yeah, they've uh, they've done a nice job. Right now on the women's side, they're sitting in eighth place, I believe. They have 25 points early on. Basketball for the men would be a tremendous opportunity with 60 points at stake for winning the national championship and, and finishing in the top 10 also would give you some points fewer than the championship, obviously. So I think there's a great opportunity for Wisconsin to, um, to continue to build on their solid uh, fall performance on the women's side and continue to uh, make a move on the men's side by 
perhaps capturing the big prize of getting 60 points in the Capital One Cup standings if they win the national championship, although I would imagine that that would be, uh, to most fans, while certainly they would be proud of that, that would be an ancillary benefit to actually winning the national championship. Reese Davis here with us on the Men in Red show. A lot of Wisconsin fans kind of struggle within their own friend groups with debating between whether or not it's better to have a program like Wisconsin that is consistently getting in the tournament every single year versus having a team that might miss a tournament every couple of years, but when they do get in the tournament, they make a deeper run, say, to the Sweet 16, Elite Eight, or Final Four. How do you see those two different options, and do you see one as being more preferred? Would you rather have the consistency or maybe less consistency but a higher ceiling when going into uh, the basketball season? I think you would rather have the consistency because you give yourself an opportunity to compete for a championship regularly. And I think that sustaining that type of program is extraordinarily difficult. Now, if you're, you know, if you're doing some hypothetical game in that you, know, you could make the tournament every year for 20 years but never win it, as opposed to having you know, a, a couple of euphoric moments of like one Final Four and one national championship, um, then, then maybe you choose that or something. But I think that since that's not reality, that in reality what you want is to give yourself an opportunity as often as possible to win. And that's what Wisconsin has been able to do. They've had, they've had consistent consistency in performance. They've been able to make the tournament, and they've been able to get good seeds, and they've made deep runs uh, on a few occasions. So I think that's what I would choose in the, you know, in the reality of, uh, of giving yourself the best opportunity to achieve at the highest level. Reese, two teams that are often compared to each other within the college basketball landscape are Wisconsin and University of Virginia. Both are considered to be quote-unquote boring from time to time, but they're always consistently within the 10 to 15 to 20 rank within the college basketball rankings. This past couple of years, though, it seems as though both programs have taken another step and are now not only just within the top 10, but also within the top five. Do you see that as a trend, or is it something that indicates the cyclical nature of the sport in general? Well, I think it's uh, there's no one answer to it, but the number one thing is that these programs are both really well coached. And I would prefer to see both of these teams, to be honest with you, play faster. But I was just commenting to someone the other day that uh, I don't find Wisconsin boring. And, and they play, they play you know, among the 10 slowest teams in the country. And I started thinking, why do I not find them boring when I watch them? And it's a pretty easy answer. It's because they're always attacking and they make shots. Uh, what's really boring is a slow team that doesn't attack until the end of the shot clock and then misses shots. And we have too many of those in college basketball. But Wisconsin executes. And they make shots. And, you know, would I see, like to see them, you know, maybe turn Sam Decker loose on a break a little more often? Yeah, sure. But uh, I still enjoy watching them play because I think they, they execute at a very high level. They, they make shots. They have a variety of ways to score. I think um, I, even though Virginia is pretty strong in the efficiency rankings, um, I, I still I think Wisconsin might have more ways to score, more guys that really scare you scoring than even Virginia does. And Virginia's a really good team. When they get Justin Anderson back, certainly that's going to help their offense. But uh, both of these teams, I think as long as they, you know, as long as they execute and they aren't just holding the ball, uh, I'm okay with it. Now, all of that said, I am an advocate for freedom of movement. I am an advocate of reducing the shot clock. I say to 24. If, if we've got 14-year-olds in Europe that can play with a 24-second clock, I'm pretty sure our college guys can handle it. And, you know, so I'm an advocate for all of those things. But uh, I had a conversation with Larry Brown last week, and uh, he said that he thought a more pressing matter was to get guys who knew how to play so that you executed well, or it didn't really matter, you know, how much you reduced the shot clock, that you were still going to wind up with guys missing, uh, missing bad shots. Speaking of players who make shots, Frank Kaminsky is one of the favorites to be National Player of the Year at the end of this season. What other players around the country do you think could challenge Frank the Tank to win that award? 
uh, certainly Jalil Okafor at Duke, and I think D'Angelo Russell at Ohio State. Those are the those are the players that I think are you know are the are the best college players in the country this year. Frank's had a great year um, and has had a great career, you know, and has uh, improved as much as anybody as we've seen in recent college basketball history. Um, you know, I think that you know there are a couple of guys that are probably a little bit overlooked that have really had terrific years. Stanley Johnson at Arizona, um, uh, the DeLon Wright kid at Utah has had a really good year as well. So I think that, um, you know, there are some other guys who who are worthy of acknowledgement, but I think that player of the year is probably a two-man race between Kaminsky and Okafor, but I would include Russell in there uh, because I think, I think Russell is the type of guy uh, now, not this is not a prediction, but I think if you were looking for a team that had a transcendent player that could load his team up and carry them deep into March, if not to the Final Four, in Kimball Walker, Shabazz, Napier-esque fashion, that player would be D'Angelo Russell, in my judgment. Yeah, let's just say that we as Wisconsin fans are excited to see him go to the NBA draft. <laughs> I don't think you're going to have to wait long. Yeah, we are thankful for that. Well, Reese, we were hoping to switch gears here a little bit and ask you about your new gig as the host of College Game Day next season. How excited are you to fill in Chris Fowler's shoes, and what do you guys have planned for next season? Oh, I mean, I'm really I'm fired up about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, that is the preeminent show uh, to set the landscape in, in college football. It has become an important part of uh, of, of the entire uh, experience, I think, for fans on Saturdays at home to enjoy college game day, is I think it is significant in shaping the narrative of what's important in the sport. And what's most what's most important to me is that um, is that we all love college football, care about it, want to put on the best show we can, and want to do our part to uh, to make sure that the sport is healthy and grows in its best shape possible. And I think. All of those things uh, are important to the fans because the passion for um, for college football is is significant, uh, as evidenced by the popularity and the response to the new college football playoff. And I'm I'm really excited to be um, to be hosting College Game Day and to be a part of it um, uh, starting this fall. So did you already book Katy Perry, or is that still in the works? <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I'm, you got to be something different. I'm working on Beyonce now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Reese, we'll let you go with this question. Now, you're an Alabama grad, which you do an exceptional job of being objective about. And we play Alabama the first game of the next year in football. As an Alabama fan and a grad, what are the and what is the Alabama fan base general perception of Wisconsin, especially after the last couple of years with the coaching turnover and even the last couple of months with all of the coaching turnover after the Gary Anderson era? I think, um, you know, I, you sort of broke up there with the last part of your question, but I think what you asked me was, uh, you know, my perspective on what I believe the most Alabama fans, how they would perceive Wisconsin as a program. And I think that, I think that there would be a great deal of respect for Wisconsin because they, you know, old school, physical, tough minded football, which is something that um, has been a calling card and a staple of Alabama football really forever, but particularly in recent vintage of uh, uh, with Nick Saban's teams. So I think that there would be a great deal of respect from Alabama fans toward uh, Wisconsin as a program for the success they've had, um, you know, not only in the Big Ten but on a national scale. Uh, even during the years when when the Big Ten was really struggling against SEC opponents, it always seemed to me that Wisconsin held its own as well or better than anyone. Uh, so I think that I think that they'll know that they'll be in for. Uh, a, a hard-hitting, tough, physical type of game. So I, I think there's going to be, I, I think it's going to be a great way to start the season to have those two teams, have those two teams get together. Also, Reese, do you have any advice for Wisconsin fans heading down to Dallas next year on how to interact with Alabama fans at a tailgate? <laughs> um, you know, I think that uh, I think that they will be um, happy to to see the 
hospitality and generosity that will come uh, from the Alabama faithful, and there will be plenty of them uh, making making the trek to Dallas for that opening game. I think they'll I think they'll enjoy themselves, and probably would enjoy themselves even more if those two teams played a uh, played a home and home and played a game in Bryant Denny and a game in uh, Camp Randall. Oh God, yes! I was very disappointed when that was announced as a neutral site series. <laughs> All right, Reese. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on the Men in Red show today. As we mentioned, you can follow along with the work that Reese is doing for the Capital One Cup at CapitalOneCup.com. Reese, thank you so much for being with us, and we look forward to seeing you on the set of the College Game Day show this fall. Sounds good, guys. Take care. So without getting too self-involved or too inefficient, we decided perhaps the best way to break in the show and to give you a little idea of who we are as people was to do a quick series of rundown questions designed to give you a little window into our souls as fans slash journalists, but mostly fans, because neither of us can spell. So without further ado, Drew? All right, John, you are now in the hot seat with these rapid-fire questions. I'm in the hot seat. Woo! You have been a fan of Wisconsin sports since when? The fall of 2006 when I got into Wisconsin. Where do you currently live? On the north side of Chicago. Favorite Wisconsin beer of all time? Moonman, not close. Favorite Wisconsin football player of all time? Russell Wilson, also not close. Favorite Wisconsin basketball player of all time? J.P. Gavinsky for reasons that I can't quite explain. Favorite Wisconsin hockey player of all time? Coach Johnson of the women's hockey team. Favorite restaurant in Madison? Weary Traveler on Willie Street. Bad Breath Burger, an excellent burger. Favorite bar in Madison? That's the move there. Favorite bar in Madison? Stadium Bar, RIP. Current favorite bar in Madison? The one I probably go to the most, I would probably say Brats. Or Wando's. Wando's is up there. Uh, dorm lived in? Schlichter. I am, yes, a Lakeshore person, though I turned out fairly normal, but I guess that's to be determined. That is debatable. Uh, strangest thing about your freshman year roommate? My freshman year roommate had a bag of samurai swords underneath our bunk bed because he was uh, big into martial arts. That is so cool. Uh, Mifflin or Halloween? Mifflin. Lived on Mifflin. Got to go Mifflin. All right. Best Badger football game you ever attended? The 2010 game against Ohio State where David Gilreath took the ball to the house on the first play of the game. One of the rare times I was there for kickoff, and it did not disappoint. Saddest football game you've ever attended? Probably the Penn State blowout in 2008 that came right after we lost to Ohio State. And that was those are the first two home games that I ever saw us lose in my college career, and the Penn State one was particularly crushing. <sighs> Some bad memories right there. Saddest basketball game you ever attended? Saddest basketball game I ever attended was definitely the Davidson NCAA game, which I was in attendance for. I still have weird feelings about Seth Curry because of it. That's fair. Best basketball game you ever attended? The best basketball game was definitely the Duke game in 2009. I was in the second or third row on TV all the time. It was the uh, That was probably the culmination of my basketball watching. So the Ohio State game in 2011 was up there, too. Favorite local food from the major city you grew up near? Well, we're in Chicago, so it's got to be pizza, right? I guess. Sounds right. Yeah. Least favorite Big Ten team? Purdue basketball. Place you go to school in the Big Ten, if not Wisconsin? Might surprise some people, but Michigan. I actually really enjoy Michigan whenever I go there. Penn State would be high on that list as well. Sport you were the best at when you could be good at sports? Probably lacrosse. Sport you were best at currently? Probably bocce ball. Most worn piece of Badger clothing? 
oddly enough, my Welcome Week shirt from freshman year, which I decided for some reason it was going to be my lucky shirt. I still wear it underneath my jersey for games I attend. All right, and the most important question of all, number of times your wife will listen to this show? Zero. All right, Drew, you're up. Let's do this. All right, you're on the same hot seat that I was just occupying. You have been a fan since once. Uh, birth. My father attended Wisconsin, and I have been a Badger since then. Dang. Where do you currently live? Four blocks away from you on the north side of Chicago. <laughs> One of the most interesting parts of coming up and making the show is the fact that we found out we live four blocks away from each other. Favorite Wisconsin beer? Uh, Ale Asylum's Bedlam. Very good. Favorite Wisconsin football player? Thomas. Strong. Favorite Wisconsin basketball player? Uh, Jordan Taylor and his beautiful arms. That man just looks so good in a basketball jersey. Yes. Biceps are on point for that man. Uh, Hockey player? Uh, Anybody but Tom Gilbert. I'm sure we'll get into that at some point with uh, Andy Johnson, our our hockey correspondent. Favorite restaurant in Madison? The Old Fashioned. Another strong choice. Favorite bar? Uh, The bar I worked at for many years in college, the City Bar, right on State Street. Yes, the the vodka presses. Strawberry vodka, son. Uh, The old Og Hall, the two towers, not that fancy new Og Hall with their nice big dorm rooms. Always interesting to explain to younger younger students there how awful a place I was to live before they redid it. Strangest thing about your freshman roommate? Besides still being very good friends with him, it was the number of uh, cheese puffs he had when I moved in. <laughs> Missiles or Halloween? Uh, neither, really. I hate large gatherings of drunk people. Oh, so you're like perfect for large sporting events and things of that nature. Uh, <laughs> best football game you ever attended? Uh, my freshman year, 2003, Wisconsin beat Ohio State when Ohio State was defending national champions and on a 17-game streak, and our starting quarterback got choked by some scumbag linebacker on the Buckeyes. It doesn't sound like you've thought about that or internalized that at all. Sad Not football game that. you ever attended. Uh, the TCU Rose Bowl. That's that's a short list for me, too. That's Badger basketball games. Now, I admittedly haven't attended very many Badger basketball games, but recently I went to the tournament up at the Sears Center in Rosemont, and Wisconsin beat BYU, and they served beer during the game, so that was pretty cool. I have been to that facility, and it was atrocious. <laughs> the worst. Uh, favorite local food from a major city you grew up near? So I grew up near Philadelphia, and everyone would probably expect me to say cheesesteaks, but no, soft pretzels. Soft pretzels from Philadelphia are amazing, and you should buy one from the dirtiest-looking homeless guy you can find whenever you visit there. Did not know that. I would have assumed cheesesteaks because I think that's where everyone does. Least favorite team in the Big Ten? Uh, Minnesota's everything. They're the worst. Place you would go if not Wisconsin? Uh, I would have liked to have gone to Northwestern, but I don't think I would have gotten in, so probably Penn State. Come to Penn State. Sport you were the best at when you were could be good at something. Uh, I went to dipshit private school, so I was pretty good at tennis. Sport you are best at playing currently. No, uh, shuffleboard. <laughs> Most worn piece of badger clothing. A uh, mesh back hat that I bought in 2003 that I still own that I've had to hide from my wife so she wouldn't throw away. I also still wear the hat that I bought an orientation that could that could have been one of my selections as well, but it's not quite as grimy as my welcome week shirt. And of course, number of times your wife will listen to the show. It will probably be zero after this one. She promised she'd listen to one. Well, that's more than I can say about my wife. So. You win there. Right now we got Phil Minton joining us here on the Men in Red podcast. Phil, thanks for joining us. Hey, how are you guys doing? Happy to be here. 
Very good. So you are our first guest, our first real guest on the show. Um, so before we get into anything, uh, I was hoping you could just kind of talk a little bit about your background. Uh, you are in Madison now, and you live in Madison and work in Madison, but maybe give a little bit of a background about how you got to be a, a writer and kind of the background you have in writing and working on pieces for us on the Bucky's Fifth Quarter website, especially related to basketball. Sure. Well, first of all, I'm honored to be the first guest, so uh, hopefully I live up to that. Um, I guess my background story might sound a little boring because I've lived in Madison so long now, but um, I've been in this town since I was probably about seven years old and uh, went to school at the university. And I was a journalism major, wrote for the Daily Cardinal. I know we have some Badger Herald guys maybe a couple of the Cardinal guys that have written for us over the years at Bucky's fifth quarter. Um, so that's how I got my start. Um, when I was in school, Ron Bain was there. So we had Rose Bowls and we also made a final four. So I'm actually getting up there, getting old, creaky knees. Did you cover but, the um, final four team for basketball? I didn't, I, uh, I was a columnist at that time. So I, I wasn't the beat writer, but I, I had a column at that time. So, yep. So we had a pretty good look while we were in school. <laughs> so um, I think we've got a pretty amicable relationship among all the Badger Herald. I was a Badger Herald guy, and uh, Mike Ciametta, who's our one of our co-editors on the site, is a Badger Herald guy. and But the founder of our site, Adam Howard, was the Daily Cardinal was yep, probably my absolutely. favorite writer when I was in college. I actually read the only reason I picked up the Daily Cardinal when I was in college was because of, of his column. So it's been cool to see his growth as a journalist. Obviously down here in Chicago where Drew and I are, it's uh, he's, he's become a fairly prominent sports journalist that has his own radio show now. So it's been kind of cool to follow his career. But I think I think the uh, I don't think we have enough people to to do one of the softball games or the football games that we used to do in college, but I think it's a pretty applicable relationship. Yeah, we could we could probably come up with some sort of three on three if we really tried. Three on three softball games. Is the saddest of all alumni softball games for the Daily Cardinal <laughs> and Badger Hill. Well, yeah. uh, without uh, any more to do, I guess we'll get right into some of the questions. Where? This team that we're seeing for Wisconsin this year is obviously one of the, the better teams that we've seen in recent memory, if not the, the best team. I believe they have the longest uh, or the best start to a season in Wisconsin history. I think have they surpassed the, the team that won the championship in the 40s? Do you know? I don't know off the top of my head. I think they, um, they're they still like saying we've got the best streak going right now since 1941, so um, I'd have to double-check on that. It was uh, 11 games in 1941, and it's 10 games now for this team. Yeah, so we're right about there for win streak. How do you see that the team this year and the team last year kind of coming into the season? Last year, I thought that it was going to be a very good team, but I don't think anyone saw Frank Kaminsky developing into the player that he is developed into, which is now a legitimate player of the year candidate nationally. How are the expectations going into this year and last year different and similar? And kind of what are the, um, kind of how would you, how would you characterize the, how the team kind of entered the year this year? I actually think the expectations were quite a bit different. Obviously we all know they're as high as they ever could be this year, pretty much, but going into last year, uh, if you remember, we had lost; they had lost their whole front court, um, so there was a lot of unknowns. Frank Kaminsky was one of them. He had shown uh, a lot of potential at times. He had a couple big games his sophomore year, but uh, he really had he, he and Sam Decker, I guess. Decker had probably more pressure on him being the Ballyhooed prep player. Uh, coming in the year before as a freshman and having a good year. I think there's more pressure on Sam than there was on Frank. So the the bottom line was we knew that the Badgers needed to replace 
uh, a lot of experience up front. And, you know, as soon as Kaminsky got going there in the first three, four games, you kind of, you kind of saw, Oh wait, this team could be pretty good if this guy is for real. Um, so there's kind of a feeling out period and, um, you know, seeing how good he could be uh, in this year, obviously it was kind of, can he do it again? And he showed right away that he was, he was up to the task and, uh, you know, right away this year, Nigel Hayes was the guy who took the next step kind of like Frank did last year. And so at at that point you knew uh, these guys are loaded (laughs) this year, despite losing Ben Brust and, you know, having to figure out, who's going to make up those outside shots this year. I think the mood's been quite a bit different where last year people were just enjoying the ride the whole way. Uh, I don't think people expected, you know, final four or bust. Whereas uh, this year, I think a lot of people are on that train. They just can't wait for them to get back and kind of avenge the Kentucky loss. So I think that, you know, each badger team is kind of similar just because of how, steady and consistent Ryan is, Bo Ryan is, but um, I think two two different seasons for sure. So with uh, Frank Kaminsky's ride last year, that obviously through title winners to NCAA title winners, how does that compare to this year, what we've seen out of sophomore point guard Bronson Koenig? Okay, I missed the first part of the question I was cutting out, but you comparing Frank's rise last year to Bronson this year? Yes. Um, so um, that's a good question. I guess the uh, the difference with uh, the position is just so different that the two guys play, um, where Koenig has the responsibility to you know distribute and get other people involved. Um, last year. Like I said, there there was Decker who had a lot of pressure, but we knew he was skilled. He still had Ben Bruss, Josh Gosser, Trayvon Jackson. He had really experienced guards, um, which I feel kind of lessens the transition for a big guy that can help bring him along. But you thrust a guy like Koenig into the spotlight, not even at the beginning of the year, but halfway, halfway through the year, you know. Um, that can be kind of tough, but um, in that sense – the rise of each player has almost been equally as impressive. What Koenig's doing right now, um, at least offensively, is just uh, amazing. He's got a great-looking shot, and for some reason it wasn't going down as consistently, but now with the confidence, not needing to look over his shoulder, um, and just knowing that he's the guy, he's just really blossomed um, to the point where, (laughs) I'm sure we'll get into this later, but, you know, people have this love-hate relationship with Trayvon Jackson and or maybe just a hate relationship, depending on who you ask. But, um, That's as good of a transition as I've ever heard. I mean, I don't know. I where yeah, where does go straight to Jackson it. rank among your – you've been watching Wisconsin basketball longer than I have. And every team has the – you know, there's a Tim Jarmus on every single team. And – where does where does Jackson rank on your most polarizing players? Because it seems like he's extremely polarizing. I've had my own, you know, love hate relationship before I kind of came to terms with it, you know, a year or so ago. But where does he kind of rank on that list? And how how do you see his perception this year? Obviously, he is an extremely good player, and he's extremely valuable on the defensive side. But I, I get the sense that Badger fans aren't are, are not have a little bit different perception of him this year, um, even with Kane's emergence. Yeah, I, I guess I would preface any answer just saying that I've totally come around on Trayvon Jackson. I was number one um, on the train rallying against him for you know, a good year and a half after he took over that starting gig. But, um, you know, after a while of watching him, you realize the things he is good at and is not good at, and you're able to kind of go from there, reset, and just 
have different expectations, but that allows you to see what he does well uh, and you can appreciate him. With that said, if I was going to rank him as far as, you know, enigmatic players on the Badgers, he's right up there at the top. He's kind of, um, he's such a high usage player. I guess I'd compare him to some crazy mix of um, Trayvon Hughes and Ryan Evans just because Hughes was uh, pretty talented. He was a point guard, but he drove a lot of people nuts. Uh, I liked the guy personally. I thought he was great to root for. Um, and then you got Ryan Evans, who people had the kind of same love-hate relationship with. Um, also, Evans and Jackson, two of the most classic no-no-no-no-yes players in history, yeah. at least for the Badgers. So um, there's some similarities there. But he's definitely one of the most uh, divisive players that I can remember in all my time watching the Badgers. So that's I uh, about Ryan true. Evans. Yeah, it's funny, right? He hasn't been gone that long. You're Ryan just so ready to get rid of the Ryan Evans might have the catbird seat for, for most polarizing player. Though Trey, Trayvon is up there. I think Trayvon, in terms of in terms of the the high the highs and the lows, I think that Trayvon has probably had more. Maybe just because he he's had a longer career and, like you said, a higher usage rate, so you're just seeing more and more and more. Evans was more of a role player, obviously. So his his lows came, you know, in in lower usage. Yeah, that's that's true. His high, I remember being at the Cole Center when he had that put back dunk one handed. I think it was against Ohio State or somebody like that. And just like I was stunned, I jumped out of my seat. I I would never have seen that coming. That was like one of the best dunks I've ever seen. And here it comes from Ryan Evans, who. I'd probably been complaining about for the 20 minutes prior. And Jackson, same thing. He's hit like three or four game winners or game tying shots. And like you said, high highs and low lows. So on the other hand, as uh, to compare it to not a polarizing player, but more of a universally loved player, Nigel Hayes uh, has been playing very well this year. Where do you see him going next year as the man in the front court after Kaminsky graduates? Sure. Um, I think I think he's going to continue to play all over the court. Um, we've seen him expand his game. And even with Kaminsky moving out, I know he's probably going to have to do a little more work inside depending on, you know, who ends up suiting up for the Badgers next year, whether uh, you get a lot of improvement out of the young guys like Ethan Happ and Vito Brown able to handle that, or you get a unnamed certain five-star recruit maybe suiting up. Um, we don't know. But I think Hayes is just going to continue to be jack-of-all-trades. And, um, you know, that's obviously a good thing. That's what's really made the offense uh, this year for Wisconsin be so epic is just every guy out there can do a lot of different things well in the offense, and they kind of stick with what Bo Ryan wants him to do. And Hayes is just another great example of that. He's got a little bit more athleticism than maybe some guys that Bo had brought in, you know, even just five years ago or something like that. But we've seen his passing skills this year, expanding his confidence out to the three-point line. He's uh, better at the free throw strike this year, and we know he can draw fouls uh, with the best of them. I'd actually like to see him go back to doing a little more of that work inside but obviously Frank is so dynamic in there you don't want to take opportunities away from him so I guess uh, another one thing for Hayes to improve on I guess would be his ball handling he still kind of makes a few mistakes uh, handling the ball from time to time so he can definitely improve in that area um, but I'm excited to watch the guy like you said fan favorite one of the most fun personalities we've seen in Madison for quite some time. Um, you know, has, has a little bit of Alondo Tucker in him where he's kind of that, you can see him being that ambassador for the program for the next couple of years. Yeah, John and I were also talking. We kind of see a little bit of Draymond Green in his game, how he's kind of able to get rebounds but also step outside and hit a long jumper. Who would you compare Nigel Hayes to? Wow, I think you guys nailed it right there. I didn't, I hadn't thought about it much, but... Um, I can see the Draymond Green comparison too, because um, 
again, Hayes has gotten a lot better on defense as well. He's able to, uh, you know, stick his hand in there, get some steals. That was like a Draymond Green trademark. Um, I'm trying to think of other guys in the league that we've seen like Hayes. You know, early on the comparison was to an old Badger, Danny Jones, just kind of the wide body, knew how to use his behind in the post um, to get to where he needed to go. Um, That's kind of always been one of my favorite comparisons. I didn't, I don't remember a lot about Danny Jones, but that was kind of when I first started following the Badgers. So, don't tip your hand too much on your age. No, no. <laughs> I think the cat's already out of the bag. Uh, kind of segueing into some of the, you know, it, it is difficult on some level to, you know, take away at a team that's obviously so good. Uh, one of the things that is difficult about about watching Wisconsin sometimes is that you you feel the sense of confidence in what they're doing. But at the same time, you know, one mistake here or there, you know, a haze turnover, like you mentioned, you can improve on his ball handling. Um, some have mentioned the bench depth as being an issue now without Koenig coming off the bench. Where do you see some of the weaknesses, if if you can call them that, within the Wisconsin basketball program right now? And do you think that they have been exploited yet, or do you think that um, – We've yet to see them be truly exploited, exposed. I guess you could say. Sure. I obviously I'm gonna kind of go with the defensive side of the ball, um, just because you can't really complain much about the offense. With Koenig taking over, he's a better shooter, more efficient offensive player. He kind of lacks the same ability to pick his spots, getting into the lane. Um, compared to what Jackson was able to do. But, um, you know, overall, you can't complain much about that. As far as defensively, though, I think there was some stat about, you know, the last several, I believe it was NCAA champions or maybe Final Four teams, and kind of where they rank according to Ken Pomeroy's numbers. And typically it was a team, teams making it that far, like in the top 20 on both sides of the ball. And, you know, right now, Wisconsin, though they have the top offense in the land, they're around the top 50 for defense. 47. Um, 47, there you go. So that's a little bit of a high number if you're um, going to consider yourself a, you know, a shoe-in for the Final Four. So the weird thing is that nobody... Nobody has beaten a full-strength Wisconsin team, obviously, in the conference yet. And um, there's been a lot of talk about whether the conference is truly down or not. Um, Obviously, it is down a little bit. Some teams haven't lived up to their billing, whether that's injuries or not. Um, You know, who knows? But, you know, we can't really judge it until the season's over and the schedule's backloaded for the Badgers and we're... We're seeing three of the toughest games of the entire year here in, like, the next four games, Maryland, Michigan State, Ohio State. Um, Even Minnesota away, Minnesota's not good, but stranger things have happened. So It's always tough to play in the barn. Yeah, and, you know, they're going to be pumped up for that, and they have kind of a style that should keep them in the game at least, and... Yeah, the barn, a little crazy, and what else do they have to play for at this point? So, you know, all these four teams are looking the Badgers off, and I wouldn't be surprised if any one of them did, honestly. Um, the the ones that I'm worried about, I guess, would be people that can exploit the perimeter defense of the Badgers. I think Koenig has played all right. I think, um, you know, he's getting better with the team defensive concepts. Um Usually, when there's a breakdown on the perimeter, Trayvon Jackson would yell at someone uh, who didn't help out. He was much more vocal than Koenig, so uh, it was always easy to identify who was at fault on a play. Um, But still, I think Gasser, I don't know if it has to do with the short bench. Some of these guys are looking a little tired. Um, Gasser seems to be getting beat off the dribble more so than I remember in the past. Um, Maryland, 
Michigan State, uh, and then I guess Ohio State at the end with D'Angelo Russell. They've got perimeter players that can that are very explosive on the wing. Um, Melo Trimble's pretty crafty. Michigan State's, you know, put in this freshman, Lou Rawls, Nairn, I guess, who has, like, the best nickname, Tum Tum. And he's really pushing them to a next level. He's really, really quick, really fast up and down the court. Those are the kind of guys that I think have traditionally always kind of given the Badgers trouble. Um, and those that would be kind of an essential element for a team to knock off the Badgers and expose kind of that defensive weakness on the perimeter. So that would be definitely one thing. And like you, like you already mentioned, the bench um, and guys getting tired, that's got to become a factor at some point in the next couple of weeks here, um, depending on Jackson's health. So, I mean, he, he'd like to tell you he's going to play at Michigan State. I just don't know about that. So we'll see. But I think they definitely need him to be 100%, not just come back, but be 100% to get that uh, their legs back under him, I think. So while the defense has been a bit of a concern, you mentioned that the offense has been producing at a historic rate. Uh, what is different this year than past years of Wisconsin basketball teams, and why do you think this hasn't been getting as much press nationally as one might expect if this were, say, a Kentucky or Duke doing this on offense? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I kind of touched on this uh, when I was going back and forth with the Maryland guys previewing the Maryland game, but, you know, the simple truth is that there's a couple NBA guys on this team this year. Um, that's definitely helping out when things break down. Uh, you know, Sam Decker's been playing at a high level. He can get to the basket and create something. Frank Kaminsky has developed into this multifaceted juggernaut of a player that can't be contained, basically. He's going to be able to hurt you either passing out of double teams or shooting from the perimeter or pulling a double post move inside uh, if you go single coverage on him. So first and foremost, it's just the high-quality athletes and players that are accumulating on this team now. Previously, you might have a couple guys on the team at one time who are just really like next-level talents. But um, when you add Decker, Kaminsky, two younger guys like Koenig and Hayes who – I don't know where they'll end up at the next level if they're NBA players for sure or not, but they sure have some skills that um, NBA players have. Uh, Koenig, unbelievable court vision, and he's just got a great shooting stroke. So, you know, just the pieces are all there. Just kind of the best pieces from previous teams are available on this team. And, you know, like I said, Bo Ryan's so consistent. You know what it takes to get on the floor for him, and you know what he requires. He doesn't want you to turn over the ball. He needs you to be able to shoot from outside and know what to do inside with the ball, so versatility. And all these guys have that, Kaminsky, Decker, Hayes, um, you know, Jackson, able to use his strength to get in the lane, finish inside, and also be a factor outside. Um Gasser is a little bit more one-dimensional this year than he has been in the past. You know, he's kind of trying to fill that brusque role of just the outside shooter, um, but he's that glue guy that every team needs, um, and he usually makes the right play, the right pass on offense. So just all these pieces together. Um, I mean, Ryan usually leads a pretty uh, potent offense, very efficient, um, like the 2010-2011 team with Jordan Taylor and John Luer was um, super efficient. I think they might have wound up second or first in efficiency that year. Um, looks like they're third. Um, that that was around 1.2 points per possession last year. Again, a pretty devastating offense, and just everybody's a year year older, year better, and we're seeing the results of that. Well, we've greatly enjoyed having you on the show as especially as our first guest to uh, kind of kind of wear us in here. 
Uh, we're hopeful that uh, we can touch base with you again uh, right before the Big Ten tournament starts. Um, we'll we'll see. We're taping this now on the the, the 23rd, so we have a we'll we'll see how the the Maryland Maryland game goes. I believe. What is your prediction for that one, Phil? This one's always scared me. Um, I think I posted that I had them losing by three points to Maryland just because I'm the sports pessimist. And um, it, I don't know. I just feel like maybe they're getting tired, maybe due for a loss at a hostile road environment. But, um, you know, obviously it's a toss-up in my mind. I could see it go either way. Well, through the magic of radio editing, we'll see if we'll make, we can make your prediction right regardless. You can just throw yeah. up a couple of keywords as well on your on your way out the door, and we'll see what we can piece together for you. I'll just uh, do a second take. You know, Badgers win, no problem. So oh, <laughs> there we go. I think either way, we'll, we're we're set with Phil's prediction. Well, well, thank you very much, Phil. Um, well, I hope to touch base with you soon, and uh, thanks for being on the Men in Red podcast. Thanks, Phil. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. Well, that does it for the first episode of the Men in Red podcast. For John Arends, I'm Drew Hom. Thanks for listening, Mom. We know you are the only one. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.